Good morning. I want to welcome all of you all to Union Baptist Church this morning, and, and uh, I know we've, we've already done a few things, but we're going to stick with the plan. Give you a minute or two to, to stand up and cross aisles and shake hands and then welcome everyone here this morning. So as you make your way back to your seats, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to uh, turn to 1 Peter this morning. I'll go ahead and let you start finding 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll look at verses 7 through 11. But I just want to remind you that there's a burden on the hearts of your pastors as we begin this morning. Uh, and it still concerns the, the lack of fellowship and hospitality that we sense is an issue here at Union Baptist Church. And the way this presents itself is, is basically, there. I've felt this way. I know there are others that have felt this way. But it it leads to feelings of isolation, loneliness, friendlessness, and even an awkwardness as we find ourselves around each other because at the bottom of it all, we really don't know each other very well, a lot of us. And so what we need to try to do is overcome that. That's not typical of a, of a New Testament church. I mean, let me say it this way. It's pretty typical of, of a lot of churches that we know, but it's not typical of a biblical church. Let me put it that way. This is not the way that it ought to feel when we come together. There ought to be a family bond here. And I know that at different points throughout church history, especially at Union, that has been a particular uh, a manifestation, is a, a family feel. And we need to, 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 to work back to that. So for some time we've suffered in silence over this. Many of us have felt this way quietly in our own homes. And, and, and that's just kind of starting to bubble up. And, and honestly, let me just be the first to say that I, I see those manifestations those pressure points that we're beginning to recognize is answered prayer. Because for a time now, I've been praying and Andrew's been praying and others have been praying that God would help us here at Union Baptist Church to understand what's going on, what's, what's behind the scenes, what's a hindrance to the Spirit of God moving here in a way that he wants to move. And, and the answer to that prayer, at least in part, is that we're not fellowshipping like we ought to. There is not that, that familial bond that we ought to have. And so this is God's faithfulness. You feeling the way that you feel, you sharing those feelings, us trying to respond, is God answering prayer. And so I want to encourage you rather than discourage you this morning because although this may seem like a formidable task, it's an answer to God's prayer and a demonstration of God's faithfulness. And so I want us to just be reminded of what God's will is for us this morning. So that's why we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I want you to hear God's word to you this morning. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Underscore these next two verses in your mind if you don't even underline them in your Bible. Above all, this is the main point here, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And we might even answer the question, well, Peter, how do we love one another uh, earnestly? He goes on to say, here's the demonstration of that love. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks or the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. So you see it there in verses 8 and 9. What God desires for Union Baptist Church above all this morning is what he has stated that he desires above all, that we would love one another earnestly and that love is displayed through acts of hospitality from a cheerful heart. That's God's will for us this morning. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we hear your voice today as we come to your word. It's not unclear, it's not mysterious, it's not hard to understand, but it has proven difficult for us to obey. So I pray for grace this morning as we come to this text, God, and we see the deficiency within our own fellowship that you would help us. We struggle to show the love you require of us. So would you grant us the grace we need to step into the, into the kind of hospitality that we need to be expressing toward one another? God, it is clear that's what you've, you've pointed out. You want us to love each other earnestly through acts of hospitality, and we simply are not there. So we pray for the grace to repent and the strength, God, through grace to act in faith. 
We know that you've been kind in hearing our groans and prayers of many as, as many of us have struggled to connect. Now we pray that you would grant us the ability to repent and the grace to obey from our hearts. God, we continue to remember those who are seriously or chronically ill this morning. We think about Ricky Butts and Wayne Craig and Shelly Stevens and Larry Adkins. And God, there are others that we could name on the list. And we ask God that you would bring healing and recovery to them. We ask that you would sustain their families this morning as well, and not just for today, but for every day that they face chronic and ongoing problems and sins and disease in their life. We also ask you, God, to be with those that who cannot be among us, God, to be with our shut-ins, so Mrs. Burden and Sam and Ruth and others perhaps that should be on that list as well. God, we pray that you would bless them, that you would sustain them, and that you would teach us as we learn to love each other that we see here that we would move beyond that love to love those whom we don't see here as well. And God, we pray that you would bless this service today, that you would bless Daniel and the praise team, that you would allow them to lead us in true worship, that we would follow their lead into real and true worship, and that you would bless both the preaching and the receiving of your word today. We pray these things in the name of our gracious and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's have our ushers come up at this time for our offering. Is there coming? I just a uh, couple of things that we can be praying about for our missionaries. One, uh, Josh Hutchins, who was here a while back that we took on for support, is kind of gearing up and preparing to move to Malawi in Africa. That should come in July, so he needs our prayers on a regular basis. Uh, also, Steve Guest, a missionary that we've had here before from India, uh, is kind of in some difficulties with getting his visa renewed. And uh, it's a, in India, that's a very difficult process sometimes. So just pray for uh, the Lord to work in that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, as we talked about this morning, that you've given us an abundance. And we know that you haven't given us an abundance so that we can just fill our coffers fuller all the time. You've given us that abundance so that we might be used to bless others in terms of uh, sending missionaries so that people can hear the gospel, but also... Um, just meeting needs, physical needs as well. We, we pray that you would help us be generous givers and that we would do it with a heart that remembers that Christ, though he was rich, yet became poor so that in his poverty, we who were poor might become rich. Let, it, let that be our attitude and what permeates our thoughts and our minds as we give today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Start at verse 11, Ephesians 2. Starting at verse 11, that song that Rick sang is an accurate depiction of the Christian life from one respect, in, in one regard. Uh, we are like strangers in this world. When we come to know Christ, our lives are changed, and we find ourselves out of step with the world, and uh, you begin to look around, and the things that used to seem familiar to you as you begin to follow Christ, they begin to seem very strange and very odd to you, and so we are uh, like wayfaring strangers. We're pilgrims. The book of First Peter says that we are uh, exiles. We're exiles in this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But you know what? That reality that's there makes what I'm going to preach on this morning all the more important because this is the this is the truth. This is the reality. In this world, if you follow Christ, you will feel like a stranger in this world. But that shouldn't be the case in the church. We shouldn't feel like strangers in the church. We shouldn't feel alone in our pain and in our suffering. We shouldn't feel as if no one cares or no one knows us very well. In the church, there ought to be joy. There ought to be fellowship that, that helps make sense of all the chaos out there. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're in Ephesians 2, and I know that I said that I was going to take a break from Ephesians, and we are. We're going to use Ephesians 2 as kind of a springboard into uh, a series on fellowship or community. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means as the church to be the family of God, and there really is no better passage to go to than these verses in uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 11 through uh, the end of the chapter. Because really what we find in these verses is the foundation of that reality that we're a family of God. It, it explains what is the basis of our fellowship and of our community. 
The reason I want to do this is Jared has been mentioning last week and this week, we've been talking about for some time, we've kind of recognized what I would say is an ugly truth about ourselves, about our church. There's much to commend. There's many good things happening, but one of the ugly things, and if you're here and you're a visitor this morning, uh, you're kind of getting a family meeting here up on the front part of this uh, sermon, so you'll just have to uh, listen in, and hopefully you don't think too poorly of us, but we've recognized an ugly truth about ourselves, namely that we as a church are not existing in line with the biblical vision of community. We don't reflect as a church the kind of community that we see in the New Testament. Instead, as a church, we reflect more of the world and the kind of relationships that we have in the world rather than what was in the New Testament church. Namely, those relationships are superficially nice. They're superficially nice. As we go on in this series, we're going to talk about superficiality and and the fact that really uh, being superficially nice is not really... Uh, is not really love. It's nothing special. There's nothing unique about that, but I'm not going to preach a future sermon right now. But I think that's the state that we are in. You know, when you think about the words of Jesus Christ, he said to his disciples, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, Jesus clearly there, he's talking about the world outside. They're going to know you're my disciples by your love for one of them, another. He's not talking about there uh, just some emotional feeling in your heart because the world can't see inside of your heart. The, the world can't see your emotions. He's talking about some outward manifestation of your love for one another that's going to be visibly recognizable by the world and it's going to be unique from the kind of relationships that are in the world. So there's the uniqueness and the visibility of that kind of love. And Jesus says when the world sees that, they will notice that that is a marker that you are one of my disciples. I don't think, as people look at Union Baptist Church, I don't think they see anything unique and special about our relationships. I feel like we've got some good relationships. I think there are some good things happening. I think there's some growth occurring in this area. But largely, I don't think we reflect what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think we reflect the superficial relationships that we have all around us, whether it's on the ball field or or, uh, people that we know from school or, or people that we work with. We're nice, but it's a superficial niceness. It's not genuine love. Why is this coming up now? Well, in one sense, it's not just coming up now. I look back and thought about where we've been and some of the things we talked about in 2014. Uh, yeah, 2014, we, we laid out some commitments as a church that we were calling ourselves to. Uh, sometime after that in 2015, one of those commitments in 2014 was a, a commitment to community. And uh, we did that. Because we recognized a need there. We, we recognized a, a void and we thought, thought that it needed to be corrected. Later in 2015, I uh, preached a sermon from Psalm 133 verse 1 that says, How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell t- together in unity. And I talked about that commitment in 2014 and, and talked about why I was preaching on this text. And uh, these, this is exactly what I said. Those commitments that I called us to in 2014 were things that I believe are lacking. Not totally absent, but are seriously lacking. Community is an area in which we need to cultivate growth. I believe there is perhaps no area that we need to improve in more than in the area of community. I believe that while we have seen growth in this area, on the whole, listen to this, this was from 2015, on the whole we remain far too superficial in our relationships. We need to continue to pursue what this text says is good and pleasant, and that is when brothers dwell together in unity. So this isn't really something new, it's kind of a new emphasis for us right now at the moment. A second thing that has kind of led that Uh, led to us being at this moment is that Jared's been praying (laughs) and sometimes you got to watch out what you pray for Jared's been praying that uh, we we want to see growth we want to see the Lord work but we realize what the Bible teaches is that sometimes sin that sometimes sin that we don't even see hinders our growth 
It holds us back. And so he's been praying that the Lord would open our eyes to see the sin that is keeping us from receiving the blessings of God. And I, I've got to say it's almost miraculous in the way that, that one after another people have been mentioning this and this has come up over and over again. I think it's a direct answer to prayer. And that's not a bad thing because I think when God reveals a sin like that, he reveals it because he's about to bring repentance. And I hope that that is the case. I think the Lord is going to work, and so I'm actually excited about this. And so uh, we want to focus on this. Let me just lay out some of, and I don't want to belabor this point too much, uh, but, but I just want to lay out some of, some of what I would say are the ugly realities that I see. I'm speaking in generalities. I know that this isn't true everywhere all the time and that there are exceptions and there are some things that are happening, but I just want to lay out in generality some of the things that I'm seeing. One, I've personally watched as newcomers never seem to be welcomed in. They, they never seem to be recognized very well. They never seem to break through that isolation. We all know what it's like to kind of be the new person and we're sitting there and you kind of feel isolated and it just seems like as a church it just takes a very long time for anybody to kind of break through and feel like they go from being an outsider to an insider. We don't do a very good job of welcoming people. One person that I talked to, and I, I won't give names here, but I recently visited another church to go into a Bible study, and they came back and said to me, wow, I just, I just can't believe how friendly they were. Like I was brand new, didn't really know anybody. They just reached out and welcomed me in. I felt like they really wanted me there. I don't think we do a good job of that as a church. I recently talked to another person who's been here uh, now for several months, and I asked the question to this person, I asked you know, how many people have come up and really engaged you in conversation? Not just say hi to you, not just shake your hand, but really try to engage you and get to know you. And, and this person, his, his answer was after, you know, three or four months of, of being here, maybe two or three people have really engaged. More, more than just, oh, it's good to have you here, right? That's the superficial thing that I'm talking about. But it's not just newcomers. I've also... And other people have, have talked and people who have been members for some time now that just don't sense a strong uh, sense of, of belonging here. They don't, don't really feel any depth of relationship. And honestly, even though some have shared that with me, they, they didn't have to share it because you can see it. It's, it's there. It's obvious for anyone who's watching. You know, over the past year, year and a half, we've even lost some families. Some people who have moved on to other churches and, you know, I always as a pastor, that, that hurts and uh, you, you're concerned about them. You know, you try to talk to people, find out is there somebody, someone offend you or something and largely the answer I'm getting back, sometimes people don't share that with you. They just want you to leave them alone. They want to, they want to go on. But, you know, one, one of the things that I feel like really I, I recognize is that for those people who have drifted away or gone to other churches, uh, one of the biggest reasons is they simply don't feel any connection here. They leave because it's easy to leave, because there's nothing drawing them in. There's nothing pulling them in. There are no deep relationships there. You know, people who study church growth and these kind of things, they, they say uh, things like, you know, you, you've got to have a couple strong relationships outside of just the relationship you have maybe with a pastor or a leader, a couple other strong relationships there to really root somebody in a church. You know, I, I got to confess, I personally have felt a lack of community. You, you know, when I was growing up church, in church, it was it was common for people just to invite you out to dinner, to join them in activity, or to go uh, to lunch after church, or you know, on Sunday evenings to go to Dairy Queen and get ice cream and just spend time together and just, just talk. I can identify, I was reading a book here recently by Rosaria Butterfield on hospitality in the church, and this is what she said, and I, I think I can identify, and maybe you can identify with it as well. She said, Kent and I, that's her husband, we, we practice daily hospitality as a way of life because we must. We remember what it feels like to be lonely. We remember the odd contradiction to be told on the Lord's Day that you are part of God's family. 
but then to limp along throughout the rest of the long week like an orphan begging bread. We, we know that chronic loneliness can kill people and destroy their hope and faith. We believe the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of water. Daily hospitality, gathering church and neighbors is a daily grace. One of the things that we've tried to do is uh, over the last few years is, is to start community groups. And really the main impetus behind that was because we feel like there was a lack of community. And we've been at that for about four years now. But even among our community groups, I think sometimes we just treat it as like a program. We go, we have our meal, we have our Bible study, and boom, we're out the door. And, and maybe a little more community, maybe a little more conversation. Uh, but there's, there's no, what I just call lingering. Lingering, you know, again, I, I remember back when I was growing up, people would just linger at church. Maybe some of the older people maybe remember that. You just stay around and talk because this is your family. This is your church family and you love these people and it's been a long week and you haven't seen them in a week and you want to talk about what's going on in your life. It was ordinary in, in our church for uh, groups of people to stay around for an hour or more after church and just just converse, and a little bit of that happens here, but, but for the most part it doesn't. It's just, this is the program, we're here, it's like we're going to a movie, and boom, the second we're done, we are out the door. I think there's some complicating factors that kind of really drive some of this. One is, is cultural. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of us, our primary identity tends to be in our actual family, our biological family. And so that's where we get that community. That's where we get that relationship. And we really, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we really don't seek to bring anybody else into that. If you're not in my family, you're not part of this relationship that I have. And so I'll go to church with you. Uh, I might see you on the ball field. I'll talk to you on the ball field. Uh, I might work with you. And but But there's no kind of close communion like you would have in a family but a church is supposed to be like family one of the other I think complicating factors I'm going to do something a little bit different here uh, so so bear with me it, I think it's just the stage of life of our church you know since I've been here we've we've had a number of people leave we've had a number of people come in that who are new so there's just been a, a great amount of turnover really in one sense and, and I think the newness of, of everybody here makes it kind of difficult because usually when a new person comes into church, they feel like, where's, where's the church? They should be the ones kind of welcoming me in. But when you have so many who are new, they're all feeling the same way. They're all waiting for someone else to welcome them, not realizing that a good number of our people feel like they are the new person. So let me, let me get you to do something. Let me get everybody to stand up. This is different. Hopefully this doesn't get off the rails here. Uh, so let me ask you, if you have been here for over 15 years, uh, if, if you've been here over 15 years, would you sit down? Okay. A, a handful of people. If you have been here, let's say 10 years or over, 10 years or over, would you sit down, please? 10 years or over. Okay. So let's, the next marker that would be easy, I was going to say five or six years, but, but if you have really come, you've started visiting or attending since I came. And I've been here for about five and a half years. So if you started visiting or attending, or let me put it this way, if, if you were here before I was, go ahead and sit down. If you were here before I was. Okay, so the rest of you, a, a good, I mean, between a quarter to a half, easily, right? Uh, the rest of you have been here. That means you've been here under five and a half years. Some of you, maybe a year, some two years. Like, you, you can go ahead and sit now. No, no, that's uh, all the awkward that we'll do for now. <laughs> We're going to go around. I want all of you to tell us your name. And, no, I'm just joking. We, we won't do that. I won't embarrass anybody. Uh, so many of you have been here less than five years. So, so if you're feeling like, I'm the new person here, why isn't anybody kind of drawing me in? Why, aren't, why isn't anybody reaching out? Well, you see, you're in the same boat with probably half the church. And so I think that's part of the complicating factor. Now, let, let's take a minute and actually preach the word of God here. Now that we've kind of laid out the problem, 
Uh, I want us to see what is the foundation. If we're going to grow in this, if, if we're going to grow closer, if we're really going to become a family, like the family of God, like churches are supposed to be, what's the foundation for that? And I think this is the perfect text, really, for that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In this passage, what I want us to see is that there is a social dimension to salvation. There is a social dimension to salvation. What I mean by that is that salvation is communal. It's a shared experience. It not only restores our relationship with God, but it also restores our relationship with our fellow man. Our salvation is not individualistic. It isn't just vertical. It's also horizontal. The people that God saves are by virtue of this work brought into unity not only with God, but also with one another. He saves not just individuals, He saves a group of people who are united as believers, as as part of one body, they are a family of God. I think this is important because as we move forward and we seek to forge this kind of community, the kind of fellowship and the kind of deep relationships that I'm hopeful that God will bring about in our church, it's got to come from this. It's got to come from a new way of thinking. It's got to come from recognizing and sensing the reality because of what God has done in our lives as individuals. He's incorporated us into a family, into a body, and we are united in a deep way with our brothers and sisters who are here with one another. I don't know if it's because I grew up in maybe a Baptist church that was a little bit different or maybe just older people. Uh, But I remember the day when preachers weren't the only ones who were brother, but we called everybody brother so-and-so, especially if you were a kid. It was, you know, brother this or brother that or sister this, sister that. We, We did that because it came from a sense that these people were close to us. I think at the root of our problem as as a church is a failure to really understand the truth of of this text that we see here. And let me give you a little bit of background here really quickly. This text is dealing primarily with Jews and Gentiles. Um, There was, you think about racial tensions in our day. There was no racial tension or ethnic division any stronger than there was among the Romans, the Gentiles, and the Jews. The Jews. These people hated one another. The, the Jews felt a sense of superiority that they were religiously and morally better than, than these Gentiles. They, they would call uh, Gentiles dogs and pigs because of their morals and because of their lack of religion. Not only that, they deeply resented the fact that the Romans were occupying them. 
Just imagine the animosity that you would have towards somebody, a foreign power who, who landed in the United States and conquered us and then sent people here to be our governors and to be uh, the rulers in our land. You would hate those people. You would resent them with everything that you have. And that's what's going on here with the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles, especially the Romans, And the Gentiles just returned the favor. They didn't care for the Jewish people either. One person said this. He said the ancient world was a a world of dividing walls. Everywhere there were barriers of custom, suspicion, and hostility. The Jew held the Gentile in complete contempt. The Roman was suspicious of the Jew and bitterly resented his presence. Greeks looked down on all non-Greeks and lumped them together under the unflattering term barbarian. After 20 centuries, there are still dividing walls in our world. Most of us are painfully aware of the barriers that zigzag and crisscross through our society. Class is set against class, nation against nation, and race against race. Hatred for our fellow man is deep-seated in the heart of sinful man. But you know, the problem isn't just race, because I look around here, I'm seeing a lot of Caucasian Americans. In fact, I think that's all I'm seeing. We're all about probably the same socioeconomic status, working, blue-collar, middle-class white people in America. And yet, this hatred that we tend to have, this division and animosity that we tend to have toward one another, it always finds some reason. If there isn't race, if there isn't class, we tend to find something else that we can use to segregate ourselves from other people. It's us and them. And we always tend to think in that way. So we look at other reasons. We think about politics. Can you believe that they would vote for that person? He's crazy and they must be crazy because they voted for him. Can you believe that they, that they would vote for that party? Can they even be Christians and vote for that party? We, we divide over politics. We divide over age. We ignore those who are younger or older than us just because of their age. Personality factors. And I just don't know about that person. We just clash. There's just something different about them. Personality. The way you dress. The way that you talk. Sometimes we don't need any reason at all. We just say things like, there's just something about them. I don't know what it is. I just don't like them. We divide ourselves. Sometimes we put up a wall over a past offense. You know that 20 years ago they did this and I've never forgiven them and I never will. And so we put up that wall of hostility. In a small community like this, sometimes dividing walls go all the way back to middle school or maybe even earlier throughout the entirety of our lives. We've known that person since they were in elementary or middle school and that's who they are and we don't really associate, we don't really associate with people like that. Sometimes, again, in a small community, we divide people according to the family they belong to. Oh, they're part of that clan, part of that family, and we kind of isolate them. There's also the the wall of being an outsider. Again, some of these things are, are particular to a smaller community like Hancock County. You're not from Hancock County. I didn't go to school with you. I don't know who your family is, and therefore I'm just going to kind of keep you all the time at this distance. You see, all of those are barriers. All of those are hostilities that we put up to segregate ourselves from other people. And so, although we're not in a context where we have Jews and Gentiles and there's that wall of hostility, we have our walls of hostility all around us. We segregate ourselves. We put barriers up to divide ourselves from people that we don't want to fellowship or don't want to get to know. Our sin problem doesn't just create a problem between us and God. It creates a problem between us and our fellow man. This danger is that this kind of segregation can happen even inside the church. We have old people and new people. The people who have been here for years and the people who have come more recently. We have people from our local community and some people who are transplants or from outside of our community. It can be the fact that we've heard something unflattering about them in in the past. It might be their politics or their personality, their age or their dress. We keep people at a distance and we look for reasons to do it. But what this text shows us is that the gospel 
tears down all of those walls of hostilities. Of hostility. The, the gospel obliterates all of those walls that we try to put up to kind of keep ourselves isolated in our comfortable little bubble with our people that we know, that we like, who are just like us and think like us and act like us and maybe have a family connection to us. The gospel just obliterates all of those walls. That's what this text is teaching us here this morning. The gospel reconciles us to each other. It doesn't just reconcile us to God. We understand that. We understand that there's enmity between us and God because of our sin. And that through Jesus Christ, the gospel reconciles us to God. But this text is saying the gospel doesn't just reconcile you to God. It reconciles you to other believers. It reconciles you to your fellow man. Look at verses 11 and 12. First thing that we see is that lostness in this passage is depicted in social terms. Look at the words that we see here. You Gentiles in the flesh. There Paul is purposely using something that would be inflammatory. You Gentiles in the flesh. And look what he says here. The uncircumcision. You're called the uncircumcision. That's what Jewish people would have called the Gentiles. Look at these uncircumcised dogs. They're not part of the people of God. They, they are out there. They're not one of us. They are uncircumcised. They don't keep the law of God. They are not a part of the people of God. He says, remember you Gentiles who were part of the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. And then Paul kind of puts a little jab into the Jewish people in the congregation because he says, which is made in the flesh by hands. Uh, He's saying here, look, they've, they've been circumcised, but their heart hasn't been changed. They haven't had their heart circumcised. They haven't been changed Uh, And so he kind of puts a jab in there. Remember, he says, he comes back to it in verse 12, that you at one time were separated from Christ. You were alienated. You were strangers. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Everything that he's saying here is not only were you separated from God, but you were separated from God's people. You were separated and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers, not only to God, but strangers to the people of God. But not only is lostness depicted in social terms, but also the work of salvation now is going to be depicted in in, in social terms as well. Look at verse number 13. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near, not only to Christ, not only to God, you you were far away. You weren't part of the people of God. You didn't have the covenants. You didn't have the prophets. You were out there. You were aliens and strangers, isolated from the people of God. But now you have been brought near to God. And the idea, the implication is you've been brought near to the people of God as well. You've been incorporated into God's people. And he goes on. He says, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Notice here it says that Jesus is our peace. It doesn't just say that Jesus brings peace to, to, to individuals and to groups. He says that Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. To know Jesus Christ is to come into a peaceful relationship with all those who know Christ as well, with all of his followers. And he's made us, do you see here? He's made us one. We, we don't segregate ourselves anymore. Oh, those are the old people or the new people. These, the, these are the people who, who are this way politically and the people who are that way. He has made, if you are in Jesus Christ here this morning, you are one with everyone else who is in Christ. And notice what is most powerful here, that he has broken down. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Whatever you're putting up to keep people out, it may not even be because you really have some burning hatred in your heart, but you just keep them at a distance because of this or that. Whatever you're putting up there in Jesus Christ has been obliterated. It's been knocked down. He has broken down the wall of hostility. 
Not only this, but we see that it says that Jesus creates a new humanity. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create. This is the result of what he did. He might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he's saying here, look, you all think of your identity as we're the Jewish people, and over here we've got the Gentile people, and that's who we are. At the core of who we are, we are Jews. And, and you've got the Gentiles. At the core of who we are, we are Romans. We are Gentiles. And there's this segregation, and it was even going on in the church. And, and Paul says, look, what Jesus did, he came and he tore down that wall in between you, and he did it so that he might create one new man, one new humanity, those who are in Christ Jesus, so that people no longer think my primary identity is Jew or Gentile, American or, uh, or something else. My primary identity is that I'm in Christ. And if your primary identity is that you are in Christ, we are connected in that way. We're part of this one new humanity. We identify with each other. The thought is not merely, listen to this, one person said, the thought is not merely that the two races are brought together with the Jew remaining a Jew and the Gentile continuing as a Gentile, nor is it that the Gentile becomes a Jew or the Jew becomes a Gentile. The idea is of the creation out of the two, something entirely new, a new humanity, a new people of God. If you are in Christ Jesus, your primary identity is, should be just that, that I'm in Christ. And if somebody else is in Christ, our identity is together. We're part of one family. We're part of one body. Let me ask you something then as we kind of apply this. How do you define yourself? However you tend to define yourself, whatever you make most important about your identity, who you are, that is what will create barriers to fellowship in the church. Because whatever you identify yourself as, anybody who's not that, that barrier will be there. For those who are in Christ, our primary identity is that we belong to him and we're part of this new humanity. So when it comes to the church, if everyone here is in Christ, the most important thing about you that identifies you is that you're in Christ. And that should draw all of us together. The most important thing is not that you're a young mother or that you're an old grandmother. The most important thing is not that you're a Democrat or that you're a Republican. The the most important thing is not that you like old hymns or that you like new worship songs. The, The most important thing is not about the status that you have at work, whether you're in the union or you're a supervisor. Those things... Those things don't matter in the church. Our primary identity is in Jesus Christ. And that identity obliterates and and overshadows any other kind of boundary that we might put up. Whatever you use to separate yourself from other Christians, you are saying that that is more fundamental about you than being in Christ. When you say, I'm a Democrat and I don't like that, I know that, that person, that woman's a Republican. She vote, she voted for Trump. Can you believe that? I just don't want anything to do with that person, right? You're saying your politics are more important to your identity than Jesus Christ, okay? That's that's what what's going on here in the church. That's why we can we can draw together a diverse community. We're not just looking for people who are exactly like us, that have the same interests and the same hobbies. The thing that brings us together, the foundation of us being family, the foundation of our relationship with one another is our experience in Jesus Christ. The gospel reconciles us with God also, but it reconciles us with God together. Salvation isn't individualistic. Look at verse 16. So making peace in verse 15 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, when you are saved, you are added to the body of Christ. 
He doesn't just save you as a Lone Ranger Christian and you're isolated from everybody else and here I'm saved and I'm going to heaven but I don't have any relationships with anybody else. No, no. when he saves you, he puts you in his body. You become one with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He saves us both to God. He reconciles us both to God in one body. One of the great dangers of our society and our culture is that we're so individualistic. It's between me and God. It's it's me and God. That's our relationship. And I don't have to worry about anybody else. But when you come to the New Testament, it is not just me and God. It's me and God and all the other people who follow Christ. It's us together. We're in one body. We're connected. We're the family of God. Remember what John says, that you cannot love God who who you don't see. Uh, and, and not love your brother who you do see. There's relational aspects to our salvation. The gospel brings us into a shared experience with one another. Notice in verse uh, 19, or verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We both have the same spirit. We both have experienced the same work of Jesus Christ. And we both have access. That's the idea of almost going into like a king's presence. We have access into the presence of God together. Both of us all through one spirit. That should bind us together. If that's true, if that is true about us, that we all have the spirit of God dwelling within us, that should be something that draws us together. And then verse 18, on the basis of Christ, through the work of his Holy Spirit, we are brought into one into the presence of God. But then he gives us three pictures of of this unity. In verse 19, we see that we're no longer strangers. The idea is like we're part of another country and we're, we're, we're kind of sojourning here. We're no longer strangers to the people of God, but now we are fellow citizens. We're fellow citizens with the saints. So it's like we've been brought in. We've been brought into this new people, into this new group, and we're fellow citizens with the saints versus I'm not going very much into depth here because I want to move through this. But but then we see that in verses 22, 20 through 22, uh, that we're fit together like a building. It says that Jesus is the cornerstone. That was the stone that they would place at the corner of the building and everything else for the rest of that building would based be based off of that cornerstone. So you're laying the, the brick for this wall or the stone for that wall. It, it's all fit together based on this cornerstone. That's, that's the starting point. And, and everything here is fit together. And that's what he's saying we as a church are to be like. We're, we're fit together. We're being built together like a building that's going to be the temple of God. You see that in verses 20 through 22. But then the final thing, and I did the first and the last, but the, I think the most remarkable one is in verse 19 we're members of the same family so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens okay we're part of the same country fellow citizens with the saints but listen to this we're members of the household of God we are members of the family of God you see there's a basis for calling one another brother and sister it's because in reality we really are Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we're all a part of the family of God. And in some senses, that family relationship really should be even more binding and even stronger than our biological family. I've already said it, but but whatever we put as the most important identity marker in our life, we segregate. And so if you're not part of my family, we're, we're going to kind of keep you at a distance. I think that's one of the things hindering our, our fellowship here as a church. We're, we don't bring people into the level of family, and we should. We're part of the family of God. What a blessing that is when that, when that presence is there, when that, that fellowship is there. It is a sweet, sweet thing. Look around you. The the people that you see here, according to God's word, are part of your family. I think until we get this concept, until until it truly takes root in our heart and soul, we will continue to remain apathetic and show that superficial kindness that we're so known for here in Hancock County. It's good to see you. Hey, how are you doing? Okay, and we're just moving on. And if I never saw you again, it wouldn't bother me. Like, that's what superficiality is. 
Like I can talk to you. I could spend an hour at the ball field and because our kids are on the same team and we're talking and we have a good time. But if I never saw you again, it really wouldn't bother me. That is not love. That's superficial. And too often I think that's the same thing that we find in the church when we are part of the family of God. When we come to see our primary identity as being in the family of God, not as a Democrat or Republican, not as a native or an outsider, not as young or old, not as new or established, not as married or single, not as spiritually mature or immature, not a certain personality type over against another type, not a parent or an empty nester, not cool or uncool, not normal versus weird. It is only then that we will start to have real community as a church. You know, one of the things I look around in churches you see churches who are trying to bring community, and uh, they do. I read a, a book here recently, and they said there, there's a certain way that you can create community, and the author said it's gospel plus community. It's gospel plus community. And so, you know, we have a foundation of the gospel, plus we have this same interest. We have the gospel, plus we're both singles. We have the gospel, plus we're both retired adults. We, we have the gospel, plus we're you know, young parents with children. And, and we put really the fellowship, the basis of our fellowship is more about our age or those other things than it is about the gospel. It's gospel plus community. But the author said that we really ought to have gospel revealing community. We ought to have the kind of community that doesn't exist because we have common interests, but it only exists because of the gospel. We ought to have strange relationships. Like, how do you know that guy? Like, why, why are you such good friends with that old guy or that, that young guy? Or You know, you don't have anything in common. You're, you're as different as daylight and dark. What is it that draws you together? That's gospel-revealing community. When you can get, think about this here, you can get people like Jews and Gentiles who hated each other. And you can get them to the point in the book of Acts where we see in those churches in the book of Acts that they are breaking bread and fellowshipping on a day today basis you took people who were naturally enemies and have made them like family that's the power of the gospel that's what we need at work in this church and that's what we're praying for will you pray with me our heavenly father we come to you this morning and uh, we just pray that you would do this work i pray that you would change our minds that you would help us see our primary identity as being part of the people of god of being in christ and that that would be the foundation, Lord, that we would begin to take steps toward one another. We, we know that this is the foundation of our friendship and fellowship and family. But, but it doesn't just happen naturally. We have to work at it. So give us the grace to desire that and to, to begin to take steps toward one another. Lord, I pray that you'd keep us from waiting, sitting and waiting back for somebody else to reach out to us. Lord, help us to begin to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I don't think that we have a lot of hatred in this church or uh, people that really have animosity toward one another, but I think what we do have a lot of is apathy. And I pray that you would just remove that apathy. Lord, that you would give us a genuine love and concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we truly would be part of the family of God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.